You're listening to the Utah Checkdown Podcast. And now your hosts, Josh Furlong and Robert Jackson. Welcome back to another edition of the Utah Checkdown Podcast. We're excited to jump back into the action, especially as there is a game in two days. We oh, actu- my goodness. We actually get to see some football for Utah. So uh, let's This ju- is awesome. Let's jump in, Rob. Let's do it. Let's, let's do. So uh, this Florida game brings a lot of interesting storylines. There's a lot of hypotheticals. We've been talking about it, and, uh, you know, it'll be pad to pad, helmet to helmet, everything going at it um the humidity versus the players uh you know all all of these storylines that we're gonna see finally unfold and uh i think one of the the more interesting storylines out of this is the unknown we know what we're gonna get out of utah's quarterback cam rising we do not know what we're gonna get out of anthony richardson um kyle whittingham made the comparison that he's a cam newton uh that's that's that could spell trouble huge at the same time, he's only completed roughly, what, 50, 50 59% of his passes. Mm-hmm. Um, his first start came last season against Georgia, and he went 12 of 20 for 82 yards, which, I mean, Georgia's defense was probably one of college football's best defenses in college football history. I mean, that was a really good defense. So I, how, how much can you read into that? I don't know. Um well, a lot of so, people have him as like a potential Heisman winner. They have him as a potential first round draft pick. I mean, I think people right. see a lot of his his potential. You know, he you know he has a reported four three forty. Uh, he, he you know he can run. So it's that's not the question of that. But I but I, it's it's interesting to be able to see all these metrics and be able to say, look, he only threw for five hundred twenty nine yards last year, completed fifty nine percent of his passes, and now he's already on that trajectory. So, which he only started two games. Sure. So absolutely. a lot of that was in mop up duty. Uh, so he started the final. Yeah, he started the game against Georgia, and then he, I think he started against Florida State, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Florida was rocking uh, Emory Jones, who transferred to Arizona State this last season, who's also going to start for the Sun Devils. So a little bit of a unknown what we're going to get. Yeah, he faced some really elite defenses. Uh, but when you watch the Florida spring game, he made it look easy. He took the – I think he was a quarterback for the blue team, and he took the Gators down the field the first three drives of the game, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. It was 21 nothing at the half for the blue team over the orange and he looked really good. He was making good reads. He was tucking and running it when he had the opportunity. And you could either say, man, he made a really big jump from his freshman season to his sophomore season. Or you could say that Florida's defense may have some weaknesses in the secondary. I don't know. You could look at it either way. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how Utah is able to combat a, a dual threat quarterback and historically that's kind of been their Achilles heel you know the Justin Herbert the Marcus Mariota and those are NFL quarterbacks you know uh is Anthony Richardson one of those um, you could even say a little bit with Jaron Hall last year with BYU he was able to um evade Utah's front seven and make big plays with his feet and extend uh extend plays and then still keep his eyes down the field and throw the ball so it, to to me that that's kind of the key here because I think we know what we're going to get out of Utah's offense, um, even against a very good Florida defense. I think that Utah will be able to move the football. They're not going to put up points at will, but I still see them being fairly successful, um, just because of the consistency, the returning talent that they have, and the experience. And another year with the same offensive coordinator, it, it seemed like for the last decade it was new offensive coordinator, new. Off- New quarterbacks coach. We're here. We go another song and dance. And the last four years under Andy Ludwig have been uh, a breath of fresh, fresh air. Um, so it'll be for me. That's the number one thing is how Utah is able to handle Anthony Richardson, um, and what what kind of exotic schemes can they come up with? Uh, especially Morgan Scally and the, being the defensive coordinator. What exotic schemes can, can they come up with to try to confuse the young quarterback? Um, and not put themselves in a position to give up those big home run plays. Well, and I think, you know, obviously Richardson, as we've talked about, is an electric player. I mean, the fact that Kyle's even throwing out a Cam Newton-type player, I mean, you know, that that says a lot about what he can be, but this is all potential, right? And, and don't, don't be surprised if Richardson breaks off for at least 20, 30, 40 yards 
uh, on Saturday, and, and, and you know, everybody's kind of wondering, oh, crap, what, what's Utah able to do? Uh, the, the reality here comes, though, is, is what can that linebacker group do, right? Like that first front four guys, they're, they're going to crash it. They're going to try to do whatever they can to try to contain the run and try to contain Richardson in, in, in some respects to try to sack him. But my, my – um, like what I'm looking forward to is is watching how those linebackers play, right? Utah has it set up in their system where they have a potential to be able to have three starting linebackers out there. They'll throw in Landon Bartner, Barton in there as a rover linebacker, a little bit more athletic, a little bit quicker, and and being able to kind of uh, not necessarily spy, but kind of just being able to to watch in that scenario. And I think that's kind of where Utah is going to try to attack that, right? Is they're going to try to be able to have somebody that's able to to manage that a little bit better. They're, they're going to have somebody that's going to try to be able to uh, attack Richardson and, and make sure that he's in check. Now, with that, you know, uh, Billy Napier likes to run his offense very similar to Utah. So in, in, in some respects, you know, they're going to have those tight ends, which is going to be a, another additional uh, scenario where Utah has to kind of judge what they need to do. But I think the one benefit that Utah has here is they're going up against two of the most dynamic tight ends that you know the country's going to see now that doesn't mean they're the two best tight ends in the in the country but at least you're seeing something in the sense of of what you see on a consistent basis right so that defense isn't going to be shocked they're not going to be able to see it the one the one difference is you're going to have a guy that has that four three speed and if he does escape that pocket if he does if you over pursue or you do different things that way richardson will burn you right like you don't need to have like a high accuracy uh, in your throwing mechanics, if you can escape the pocket and being able to run for, you know, 30 yards, right? And that's, I think, where right. we've seen Utah really have that problem. A lot of times they over-pursue, they, they get a little sack hungry um, for good reason, right? I mean, that's what their job is. And then they've kind of put themselves in a vulnerable spot. That's where you're going to see, you know, the Devin Lloyds of the world missing, right? You, you want to be able to have that guy that's experienced. Now, with that being said, Devin Lloyd still got put out of place at times, right? Like uh, opposing teams did a good job of scheming to get him out of place. And so w- when you have an inexperienced group of linebackers like that, I'm really curious to see how that works, right? You can have all the confidence in the world at Utah. You've got Mo Diabate. You've got Kareni Reed, who's experienced at least in Utah's system. And then you've got an up-and-coming guy in Lander Barton who's able to do it. But if they can't communicate, they're not taking the right angles, they're not doing everything, that that becomes really difficult, right? Especially against a guy like Richardson. You give him an inch, that place is going to be an electric place. And, you know, it, it's going to give Florida a little bit more excitement than maybe you weren't intending. So that that's going to be my key matchup, in my opinion, is those linebackers versus Richardson and, and kind of the run game. Um, but I don't know. It'll be an interesting battle. I, I totally agree with you, and I, in fact, I, I just to add on to that, Utah plays a very aggressive NFL-style defense. There's not a lot of help. Uh, everybody has to do their job, and if one person misses their assignment, uh, it's a it's a 50-yard run down the sideline. Um, but with that, if everybody does their job, you're put in a position to to put a lot of pressure on Florida's offense and potentially get a lot of three and outs. And then that starts to put a lot of pressure on Anthony Richardson. Can he respond? He didn't do it that, that well last season. He was put in a position late in the game against LSU and ended up throwing a pick um, instead of being able to lead his team, you know, and Utah's defense is pretty good. I, I would say that Utah's defense is comparable to what you would see in the sec. Now, granted they don't have, you know, nine first round draft picks like Alabama, like, okay, they're, they're head and shoulders above everybody. You could even lump George into that, but the rest of the SEC doesn't have nine first round NFL draft picks. You know, I would say Utah's very good um, on, on the defensive side, but yeah, the, the, uh, if you were to ask some, and we'll, we'll talk to uh, Florida beat writer, Kevin Brockway later in this uh, podcast, but I think if you were to ask Florida fans, what was the biggest weakness from Diabante, uh, they would say his run um, defense. He missed a lot of tackles. So I, that's something to keep an eye on because the quarterback run game, uh, as well as, as well as, <clears throat> excuse me, as well as some RPOs, potentially some, you know, speed option. It could be an interesting kind of chess match between Florida's offense and Utah's defense. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Utah doesn't really know what you're going to, what they're going to speak, expect to see, right? Like, is it going to be Florida schemes from last year with a different coach? Probably not, but is it going to be a complete carryover from, 
what uh, Billy Napier had at uh, um, Louisiana? Probably not either. It's probably going to be some hybrid of both. And so Morgan Scally is going to have to do some in-game adjustments to be able to stop whatever Florida is going to try to do, because I don't think that they really know that they can look and say, okay, this is their strength. Uh, Anthony Richardson is very fast. Uh, They have some talented running backs. One of them is a transfer from the university of Louisiana who played for Napier. So what is it going to, you know, are they going to try to three yards in a cloud of dust kind of Utah style? Are they going to try to take some chances down the field? We don't know. And that opening drive um, for Florida will, will kind of, give Morgan Scally the uh, the roadmap, so to speak, to what they need the game plan for the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big question here, right? I think everybody's kind of looking at Richardson as kind of being the, uh, the, the guy that's going to just carry them to the promised land, right? And, and that's not to say that he can't, right? Like, if, if Richardson is able to tap into that potential that everybody thinks that he has, this is a nightmare matchup for Utah, right? I mean, this is, this is really dangerous... Uh, that's not to say that Utah can't figure it out or they can't do different things to scheme, but you, you've got to be able to to take that into account that, you one, you don't know what you're going to get. Obviously, with Billy Napier, they, they, they understand that he likes to use tight ends. He likes to, to run the ball. He likes to be able to do that. But the reality is, in fall camp, Richardson wasn't perfect, right? Like, no quarterback is necessarily perfect, but I think it's it's that adjustment phase, right? There may be that first quarter where everything is going perfectly fine for Florida. You know, the, the crowd is hyped, everybody's ready to go, and it looks like Florida's ready to roll away with it because they're they're just kind of cruising on on that first game momentum. Um, but the reality is, is obviously those those last three quarters are going to be where this game is won. Now, you know, if Florida goes up twenty eight to zero, that that may be changing things. But right. I, I think this is where you know that scheming and 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 how Utah is able to change, how Florida is able to change. That's where this becomes difficult, right? It's it's easy for Richardson to say, look, I've got this untapped potential, and I'm, I could be the Cam Newton type player. And if and if he is great. But you have to stay within that system for the entirety of the game. And, and, and he's a smart guy. He understands that this isn't like, or, you know, breaking news to him. But I think that's the hard part, right? Can Billy Napier continue to scheme that in a way that you're, you're coming into an, a, a program and you're able to instill your offense and your defense through the entirety of the game? The one benefit there that Utah has is they've had this consistency forever, right? Kyle's been there for 18 years. He's he's done this. Yeah, they've had changes in offensive coordinators. They've got a defensive coordinator that's been there a long time. But at the same time, they, they understand their system well. They've got a lot of guys that are returning. They've played in the system, and they understand it. Does that mean it's going to give Utah that much of an advantage? Not necessarily, right? This this could 100% be the Florida beatdown. Um, it, be, it, it could be a whole myriad of things, and I think that's what's so intriguing about this game any season opening game right like we sit here and we talk about Oregon going up against Georgia and Georgia's going to wipe the floor with them but Oregon may come out and smash them in the mouth and 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 beat the defending national champions that's what make this makes this week so fun and so you know go into this game excited right like this is this is an opportunity to be able to be in the swamp it's an opportunity to see football again and so like yeah, you obviously want Utah to win this game, but I think just just enjoy it. It's not going to be perfect. There's not going to be, you know, the end of the season type scenario where everything's working perfectly, but I think this is going to be a fun matchup to watch. So, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if there's anything more we have to talk about Richardson. We'll obviously talk to the, you know, the Florida beat writer and kind of get his take on it, see what he's seen. Um, but I think... I, I, I will say that he's not a C.J. Stroud I don't think that Utah has to worry about him throwing dimes like Stroud was doing. I, I've, I've watched that Rose Bowl probably 15 times. Well, and they don't have and Jackson Smith and Jigba either. So Some of those throws that he made, like even even as a converted running back, Makai Bernard was actually in a pretty good position. Like, yeah, it's not perfect, but he was at least in pretty decent position for most of those. Um, Malone Makalele uh, was in a perfect position. That last one where they, they took the lead, in the fourth quarter, he was in perfect position. Like there was nothing more he could have done as a defender. And Stroud needled it in there, uh, toe on the sideline. Like the, how do you defend that, right? Uh, when you have that much NFL talent at wide receiver, and like when you're that accurate as a quarterback, it's it's tough. Uh, Utah wasn't able to get any pressure up front. Can they do it against Florida? Florida's got a pretty beefy offensive line. Uh, what three three forty? Um, I mean, pretty, yeah, pretty beefy. Um, 
Can we, so, can we just talk uh, one one brief second about how terrible their depth chart looks? Sure. You are, the, the Excel spreadsheet? <laughs> With the, the errors that are still in there the, and everything? The Google Doc. Oh, my gosh. We don't yeah, have to continue that. Uh, well, <laughs> if, you're, if you're, I don't know. I, I feel like... I derailed you. I'm I, sorry. I, I feel like more and more, you know, this is kind of a tangent, uh, but this is a good one. I, I saw that Jim Harbaugh is not going to release a depth chart. And in fact, he's going to say... Hey, we're going to start two different quarterbacks first game against Hawaii. We're going to start one guy. The but have you seen their opening Colorado schedule? State I mean, like else. they don't have they don't they don't even have to have a quarterback those first few games. Let's be real. They really don't. They could hand the ball off every play. Um, actually, yeah, I know Hawaii did look terrible against Vanderbilt. Um, was it sixty three to ten? Something. Like, and that's Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt on the road. Hey, Man, SEC champs was, uh, coming. I'm feeling it. Oh geez. Well, <laughs> I I I feel like more and more schools are just going to say unless there's like some rule that says you have to release a depth chart and be open about injuries, more and more coaches are going to be um, secretive about it um, and just say, hey, like the players know, but the we don't need to tip our hand, kind of like what Kyle Whittingham's done. So um, we did get a depth chart, fortunately. We, and we did. Break we that finally down. did get a depth chart for Utah. We we did were able to break it down, and we did get a depth chart for for, for Florida. Um, it, it it'll be interesting because it's like it, 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 Billy Napier was was quoted saying, "Hey, like, yeah, we have a depth chart, but most most of these guys, the the competition for playing time is going to go throughout the season." So it's like, yeah, like you may get the official start, but if you're not getting the majority of the minutes or if you're not playing, then you got another guy coming in right behind you. So uh, to a certain extent, yeah, I mean, it's it's valuable, but at the same time, um, especially in these first few games when you have a new coach, like the the in-game adjustments are going to be so crucial for Utah. And we haven't seen Utah historically make those in-game adjustments very, very well. It seems like you know, is, you know, you look at that BYU game, BYU's game plan was to get Jaron Hall moving in the pocket. Utah wasn't really able to adjust. They weren't able to get any pressure on him. He was still able to evade defenders and make throws down the field. And they ended up losing by nine. So this is this is a game where Utah is going to have to make those adjustments. If they're getting burnt in the run game, they have to move to, you know, some more of a 4-3, you know, and, and then potentially give up more um in the passing game it, it's one of those things where especially on this national stage utah i feel like is carrying the conference torch this year oh absolutely uh, partly because you're the conference champion but partly because i believe that georgia is going to lose to oregon you know and if utah also loses to florida then suddenly the pac-12 is seen as an afterthought and we've seen that over and over and over well, again the it wasn't pac-12's demise will happen the second utah loses that game right like there's no right. hopes for the conference so if Utah is able to beat Florida, then suddenly it's like, okay, well, maybe that maybe they are a legit uh, conference this season. Maybe we can't take them seriously. And that that has to happen. Like, you know, especially with this conference alignment, you got Oregon and Washington trying to leave, and you got USC and USCLA already a foot out the door. Like the Pac-12 needs some positive momentum. And this, and this could be it for them. And, and if not for them, it's for the program. Like this is that big – that big chance for the program. Uh, we, we've always said this is the biggest game in program history. And we said that, you know, in 2014, when Utah went to at and played at Michigan, we said it again, you know, when, in the sugar bowl, when they beat Alabama, the biggest, game. Th- this potentially has the stage to be the biggest game in what could be, I'm not going to say it will be, but it could be the biggest season in program history. If you make the college football playoff, it doesn't matter what you did in 2008. It doesn't matter what you did in 2004. You make the college football playoff. This is your best season ever. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's that's the difference here, right? It's like you, but it also could be a, a catch twenty two there in the sense that this is putting a ton of pressure on Utah to carry that weight of the conference that is already scrambling to stay afloat. You know, if if Utah goes in and lays an egg in, against Florida. You know, that's that doesn't look great for the conference. And now everybody's going to start looking, Okay, is it viable for the Pac-12 to stay together or should it be viable to stay? You know, and so like you don't want to heap a ton more pressure on Utah. And I don't necessarily think they're feeling this. I don't think the players are. I think they've got their own 
um, goals and, and mindsets going into this. But the reality is that's it. The national the national narrative will be surrounding this game about the Pac-12, right? Now, if Oregon shocks Georgia, okay, that, that can change things and do different things. But most people aren't expecting Oregon to even come close to Georgia. This game, right. Utah's favored. They, they have the opportunity. They're the number seven team in the country. Traditionally, that team that is in that top 10 range in the conference – you know, they, they get a lot of love from that. I still think if Utah loses this game, they're going to stay somewhat in that conversation. I, I don't think that they can get to the playoff. I think they'd have to run the table and they'd have to do so in convincing fashion. And even then, that would be tough. But I think at the very least, you've got to be competitive in this game, right? Win or lose, you've got to be competitive. If you go in there and you get your butts kicked, this is over, right? Like your season's not over, but like your national narrative and the Pac-12's narrative and all that is over. So... You know, this this is one of those things where you just have to come in there and you, you have to perform well and, and do it in, in, in a way that's going to help you. Utah's going to get the benefit of the doubt, right? Oregon, last year, they beat Ohio State in the very first game of the season. That gave them a ton that, of that credibility. That gave them a ton of credibility. Well, it worked for the, the rest season. of it. Yeah, exactly. The, and that's what gave Utah credibility at the end is because Oregon beat Ohio State. Utah then thrashed Oregon twice. And so instantly everybody in the national stage was looking at that game or looking at Utah specifically and saying, look, they're a legit team. If Oregon loses that game to Ohio State, that, that doesn't necessarily tank the conference, but I wonder the perception of, of what Utah's wins against Oregon would have been. And I think that's why these games are so important, if not just for a perception aspect alone, right? Like, obviously, it means a lot to be able to get to the playoff. You want to be in that contention. But I think you want to stay, as much as you can complain about it and, and be frustrated about it, you want to stay in the national narrative because people are talking about you. You have Paul Feinbaum in the SEC who couldn't give a crap about anybody in the Pac-12. If he's talking about you, that means SEC fans are talking about you, and they want to be able to see what that is, especially if you go into their country and defeat one of their own. So it's an interesting dynamic to be able to see this. There's a lot of pressure there, and I think more pressure in, in the terms of, of how you and I are going to talk about it, how the national narrative is going to be. And I think that's, that's what makes this game at that stage, right? You talk about this potentially being the biggest game ever. That's why. Right. And it, to, to a large degree, uh, Utah has more to, to gain from this game than Florida, but they also have more to lose. Um, yeah, I, the season's not over if they lose, right? Like they, they still have all of their conference aspirations at play. They can still potentially go to the Rose Bowl if they do well in conference play. All, all of those season objectives are there. It's It's just... With the experience returning, and, and it's kind of unfair on the players because we as the media are the ones to do it, to give those projections. The players aren't giving them, the players aren't saying, hey, we're making the playoff, you know, look at us. It's us as the media that are doing it and, it, and it's an unfair system, but that's just the reality of how it is. Like this should, should is, is a hard word. This could be a college football playoff team. And it all hinges on how they perform in, a, in probably the most hostile environment uh, that they've ever played in, um, you know, humidity aside, just 90,000 fans like, yeah, Utah's played um, at the big house, which seats even more. But I would say SEC football, it, it's a little bit different than the rest of the country. Uh, very few places in the country can make the the argument that, man, and everybody says, well, Rice Eccles is loud. Rice Eccles is loud uh, for 45,000. Uh, it probably sounds louder than it should. Uh, because the fans are so passionate, but it's not 90,000, no. right? Uh, this this is going to be a, a tough environment. And, you know, both teams, I think, because and this this is a, a three-point uh, favorite for Utah. So they're not saying that it's going to be a blowout either way. I think both teams are going to face some adversity. And when you do, you kind of turn to those leaders. On offense, we know who that leader is. We know it's going to be Cam Rising. For Florida, we don't know who their leader is. I mean, could it be Anthony Richardson? We don't know. Could it be one of the running backs? We don't know. Uh, kind of be interesting to see how the game plays out. But on defense, who's that leader for Utah? Who's that guy when, let's say, Utah gives up a 15-yard run and suddenly, you know, Florida's down in the red zone? Who's that guy that's going to go into the huddle and say, "Hey, you know, we got this. Let let's let let's stop him." I've I've heard Kyle Whittingham say it's it's more leadership by committee on the defense. I mean, who do you see as that guy that's going to be like, no, like. 
we're not giving up another yard. Kind of like uh, remember the Titans style. <laughs> Sunshine. No, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think it's a little bit more unconventional in the sense that I think it's a somebody like Clark Phillips III, right? Like I think you don't traditionally get a cornerback that is the leader of the defense, but I think the way that he carries himself and the way that he talks about this team, the way that he approaches everything, I think he's one of those guys that at, at the very least has no problem being vocal. You saw that, you know, after the death of Aaron Lowe. He was one of those guys that stepped up. Devin Lloyd was obviously one of those guys, and, and he – he, he did most of his stuff, especially behind the scenes, and, and, and really got those guys uh, in check. But I think you have somebody of his caliber that that is able to just really bring the team together and say, look, guys, this is what we need to do. You know, he's, he's not the linebacker or the, the you know, the, the safeties, the quarterback of the defense, whatever you want to call those. But I think he's in a position of power in the sense that people listen to him, people respect him. So if if there is something that goes awry, and there will, I think Clark is going to be one of those guys on the at the very least that, that talks. You you need somebody like a Mo Diabate to be able to be that guy, right? But at the same time, he comes in as not being the guy, right? Like he he's now inserted into that. He's here for a season, um, but but you've got to be able to have somebody step up. Maybe it's Karene Reed. Maybe it's one of those other players that that we haven't talked about. But I think you have to have all those guys dialed in and and respect what other people are saying, right? Like you've got to be able to to adjust and you, you've got to do that. Like, like you mentioned, Utah hasn't played in an environment like this. You can point to the Rose Bowl and say 90,000 plus were there. Yes, they were, but like 75 of that was Utah fans. Like it, it changes drastically when, when it's, it, it goes against you. So uh, we don't, even in the sugar bowl, which was a, was a de facto home game for Alabama. There were a ton of LSU fans that made the trip that were wearing red <laughs> in support of Utah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that wasn't, that wasn't, as hostile of an environment as we thought, especially when you can go up 21 nothing in the first quarter. Uh, I mean, Utah has been circling this game since the day after the Rose Bowl. Like this has been on the mind of every single player on Utah's roster, every single summer, summer workout, spring workout, fall camp day. They've been visioning this game. This isn't Weber State. This isn't Southern Utah. This isn't Utah Tech. This isn't, you know, some mop-up game where you're, you know, hoping to be done at halftime and then you're struggling to find motivation. These players have had this game, and, and this is the beauty of having this big game in week one is all summer long, this has been the focal point. This has been your your motivation as a player to give 122%. That made 22% better every day. That's their motto, and, and that's, you know, it'll be – if you're going to be 22% better every single day and you have this game as that motivation, that's going to be pretty easy for you to go through those two a days and, and to put in that extra effort in, in the weight room and to stay after, you know, I've heard numerous reports um, from different players that they, Hey, they, they, they're sticking around after practice to catch some extra passes. They're staying around to work on the jugs, whatever it might be They're They, they recognize the importance of this game. And I mean, yeah, we as fans and we as the media can say this is going to be a big game, but the players that they know that, right? They 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 know that this is their chance to to shine. There's a reason why ESPN picked this as their primetime game of the week. Like this is, you know, seven o'clock Eastern, five o'clock Mountain Time, primetime eat mothership ESPN. You couldn't ask for more exposure if you wanted to. This is going to be uh, a showcase for not only Florida's players but Utah's players to say, hey, like. We do play physical football in the Pac-12. We are uh, better than most people give us credit for, and we are going to prove it. And if Utah can come out and um, set the tone early, you know, I'm not going to say 21 nothing like they did against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, but if they can come out and and get to a two-score, you know, a 10 nothing lead early on, well, maybe it puts the pressure back on Florida and says, okay, well, we've kind of given you our first punch. How are you going to respond to that? And then it'll be interesting to see how the game uh, wears on from there. But I think that it'll be critical for Utah to get the crowd out of the game early because the more, the, the closer the game, the more the crowd becomes a factor. And we, I mean, that's not rocket scientist. Everybody knows that. So it'll be, uh, that'll be key. Number one for me is can Utah take the crowd out of the game and uh, with some big passing plays, potentially early on in the game, Cam Rising to Devon Vele, Solomon Enos, maybe the tight ends. 
um, and really try to test the limits of this Florida defense. If you're going to play a new coach, I mean, it's almost best to play them in week one mm-hmm. <laughs> before they get all the bugs ironed out. Like um, Billy Dapier is going to be the offensive coordinator for this game. He's going to be the one calling the plays. Is that going to be too much for him? Is is that kind of like, you know, a lot of people say, you know, hey, like, yeah, you could do that at Louisiana. You might not be able to do that at Florida. Like, don't you want to experience that in week one? <laughs> and if they are going to have some bugs, if they are going to have some, you know, delay of games because they can't get the play call in, whatever it might be, like you want to face that in their first week and, and, and try to catch them off guard as much as possible. So I do like Utah in this game. I think that Utah – is the better team um, if this was played later in the season and Anthony Richardson develops into, you know, a legitimate top 10 pick, then, you know, Hey, that's a completely different game. Um, but first game of the season, I think that Utah with its returning experience gets the W here. And um, I, what do what do you think, Josh? Yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to jump to our uh, guest here soon, but I, we just want to do some predictions real quick. Uh, for me, I think it's that same thing, right? Like you've got to be able to jump out and you've got to be able to, to attack them early. You've got to show that, that you're in control. Um, once again, we've talked about not everything's going to be perfect. Things are going to happen, but you've got to show like you're the consistent team. You can't go out there and get smacked in the face and, and look like you have no control in an environment that, that, that you can't control, right? You've got to go in there. Um, for, for me, you know, purely out of speculation and purely out of, of, of Utah just simply being, uh, quote-unquote, the better team to start. That doesn't mean they have the better talent necessarily. That doesn't mean, you know, Florida can't be great. I just think consistency-wise and what Utah's bringing back, I think they're the better team in that respect. And for that reason, you know, I, I see Utah winning this game 31-24. Um, it's a little bigger than the spread, um, but I think Utah can, can cover that. I think it's going to be one of those games that's going to be exciting. But um, I, you, you know, copied I, my picks. Come oh, on, did man. I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had thirty. I had thirty-four twenty-four. Oh, okay, um, but very very close. Um, I, I think we're on the same page here, and and giving the experience of Kyle Whittingham and his staff, as well as the returning production that Utah has on offense. Uh, the, the the question will become who, which team is going to make more mistakes. Um, and then we both know that whoever makes those mistakes, the other team's going to capitalize on them. Um, so if Utah can limit mistakes and not really give Florida anything to work with, we're not, we're, t- we're talking like short fields off of a, you know, a botched punt or you know, a fumble interception, things like that. Things that historically Utah has been pretty solid with, with the exception of last season and the, the, the special teams woes, um, if Utah can limit the short fields that they give Florida and then, you know, hope that their defense, I mean, if Florida's game plan is to throw the football, watch out. Utah's secondary is not the same secondary that you saw in the Rose Bowl. Micaiah Bernard is not playing cornerback. <laughs> I play running back. He plays running back. Um, this is going to be um, – I, I I don't see Florida trying to pass their way to a victory. I see it more – they're going to test the edges with their speed of their quarterback and their, their running backs. And, and at that point, it's – yeah, let's see. Let's see if Utah's linebackers can adjust and to make those big plays open field tackles. That's right. Uh, if if you want to read more about uh, some of the, the the preview of this game, you can obviously go to our website at ksl.com, uh, where today we'll have posted uh, Brett Ciencia from uh, Pick Six Previews. He'll give a, a preview of the game and, and kind of see what he's he's looking at going into this. So uh, check that out. But let's let's now transition over to our guest. Uh, joining us today will be uh, Kevin Brockway. He uh, is the beat writer for the Gainesville Sun and Gannett Florida Network. Uh, I sat down and uh, chatted with him about this team and so we'll get his take on that coming up right now joining us now is kevin brockway who covers florida for the gainesville sun and the gannett florida network how are you today i am doing well uh the movers just came uh got my furniture finally after about a month away and uh you know interesting i covered the gators from 2003 to 2019 moved away to indiana for three years and uh now starting fresh but was able to uh cover the gators all through fall camp so uh ready to roll you know a, a new year for me and a new year for coach napier also billy napier first year coach so a lot of a lot of excitement around here in gainesville uh for the swamp to um see what he unveils here i guess really high caliber opponent and opponent i think that you know coach napier and, and the rest of the team have a lot of respect for 
Yeah, let's let's jump into that. Obviously, uh, you know, you get a new head coach. Uh, you know, there's a lot of differences, and, and you were covering a different team last year, so that it's a little different. But what what do you see from what Billy Napier is bringing to this team that that maybe could bring Florida back to where most fans want them to be? Well, I think the discipline and the accountability piece was something that was lacking. I mean, if you took take a look at Florida, I think the last seven years they've been either first or second most penalty yardage uh, in the SEC. Um, so under various coaches, be it Jim McElwain, be it Dan Mullen last year, uh, you know, be it Will Muschamp, um, even, and even some in Urban Meyer, um, there are always issues with penalties. There are issues with with discipline. Um, and uh, I think, you know, Coach Napier is trying to crack that down. As a matter of fact, he's had SEC officials at a lot of practices and a lot of scrimmages. Uh, I think he feels like that that's kind of the quickest way to turn things about. And, uh, you know, just, just fostering it togetherness. The team kind of split last year under Dan Mullen. That sometimes happens when you lose, you get a little frustrated and so forth. And, you know, the, the Dan Mullen era really was riding high in 2020 when you had Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony and Kyle Trask. And you're on the cusp of you're in the SEC title game and you're right there with Alabama. But I think really last year the wheels came off a little bit. You know, another issue that's also a talent issue, I think, with recruiting. You know, Dan Mullen was not, uh, uh, you know, not a very good or enthusiastic about recruiting. Uh, Billy Napier seems to be much more so. Um, they have a pretty good 2023 class rolling. I think it's around 10th in the country right now. So I think the future looks bright from that aspect, too, and that he's uh, trying to bring in and bringing in a lot of guys from the state, too, within the state and within the southeast. Some really good commitments from Georgia, Alabama, and a bunch from Florida, a bunch of four stars from the state of Florida. Yeah, when you when you look at these season openers, I mean, they're, they're always difficult to predict. I mean, everybody kind of wants to have their opinions about it. But in this scenario, especially, you're, you've got two teams that don't really ever play. You know, the Pac-12 rarely ever comes to the SEC. But on top of that, you have a new head coach. How how much of uh, Napier's style that he had, a coaching style at, at Louisiana, do you feel transcends to Florida? Or do you think he's kind of trying to blend those things together? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I wrote a story, uh, it'll be coming out in the next couple of days, about Napier's offense and how it's going to be received in Gainesville. Uh, that's so used to Steve Spurrier and the, the high-flying offense. Uh, you know, he projects to be from Louisiana a little more conservative, um, likes to run the ball, likes to establish the run, but off of that will play off some play action and occasionally hit big plays. Um, so I, I'm going to be fascinated. There, 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 there are also some RPO concepts to his offense, uh, at Louisiana, you've got a mobile quarterback in Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, but the other aspect to that is uh, the backup quarterback, Jack Miller, the transfer from Ohio State, broke his thumb during camp, and he's going to be out the first two weeks. So your backup is uh, Jalen Kitna, who's, uh, you know, former NFL quarterback, John Kitna's son, was yet to take college snaps. So Anthony Richardson, while I, I expect him to try to make plays with his legs in this game, is, is also going to have to be very careful because if he goes down – Florida's very green at the quarterback position. With that being said, I mean, do, do you think that uh, Napier kind of takes a little bit away from his dynamic ability by not running him as much? Do you think they try to establish maybe their own run with different players and then and and keep him in the pocket, or do you see him still kind of exploding and, and kind of trying to be have that escapability from the pocket? I think what you're going to see is maybe four to five design runs per game. And then, you know, he'll have opportunities to freelance as well. But, uh, you know, he, he talked to us yesterday at the university. He said he's going to slide, you know, if, if he need be. You know, he's not going to try to be a quote-unquote superhero and take on tacklers. He's, he's going to try to be a little smarter uh, because of that. You know, he had some hamstring issues last year. He had knee surgery in the offseason, a minor knee surgery. Um, but I still think his, uh, his wheels, you know, are, are going to come into play in this game. I just think they're going to be very selective about it. Uh, with Richardson, obviously he's getting a lot of um, publicity this year. People see him as a potential Heisman contender. They see him as as one of the most dynamic quarterbacks that maybe has NFL potential. What, what are you seeing from him? And, and do you see, do you have you seen maybe some progress in his ability from what we saw last year, which was obviously very limited. He, you know, he completed 59% of his passes. He didn't have a ton of t- uh, touchdowns. There was a lot of interceptions. What, what are you seeing from him this year that maybe gives you the belief of that? Or, or are people kind of overestimating that just simply based on on talent alone 
Well, I think he's got a strong arm. I think maybe the issue might be accuracy a little bit. I think that's kind of the next step for him. How accurate can he be within this offense? And, uh, you know, we, we watched very little practice, but the practices that we did watch, um, you know, they were, they were working on a lot of screen passes, uh, a lot of wide receiver screens. And I think that's going to be a staple in Napier's offense too, uh, just to get him confidence, you know, those short, quick throws, um, just to kind of get him in a rhythm a little bit and then take the shot downfield. So, um, you know, I think the arm talent is there in terms of uh, he can air it out. I mean, he can throw the ball 50, 60, 70 yards downfield. I think the issue is, you know, how accurate is he going to be and, uh, you know, what kind of rhythm he's going to be in. Um, because, um, you know, his first career start against Georgia, he got burned with interceptions a little bit. So the decision-making also uh, trying to thread the ball in there to coverage, that's all part of it. But I think Coach Napier feels like with a full off season, he's grasping the position really well. Uh, Coach Napier talked a lot about like a, a checklist that he has to go through every week. Um, and he said that um, Anthony Richardson is very coachable in that regard. So I think what you're, you're hope if you're a Florida fan, I think what you're hoping to see is uh, growth and progression from him as a thrower as the season goes along. Because if he gets that with his unique athletic ability, then you've got uh, a quarterback that's really dangerous. Yeah, yesterday, Billy uh, Napier released his depth chart uh, just a couple days before the game. Uh, I think from the Utah side, a lot of people saw that depth chart. They were curious to see what, what to make of it. Um, obviously, they don't know these players like they would anybody in the Pac-12. But I think one of the things that was uh, noticeable mostly to people was the the sheer size of a lot of these linemen. Uh, it, what, what do you see from, from the trenches? Do you think Florida has the talent to be able to win in the trenches? Do you think they'll be able to compete with Utah that way, knowing that you know you got a lot of different guys? Obviously, they're bigger guys. Utah's going to be smaller sized. What, what do you kind of see in that battle? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, uh, though, because uh, in some of that, uh, too, I mean, you can have size, but you have athleticism. And there's one guy that's 420 pounds uh, who uh, I think uh, is, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much of the field he's going to see, particularly in these hot, humid conditions. Um, and then you have Reed, the nose tackle is 290, uh, who's probably maybe a little more nimble. But you, you've got some guys there, Gervon Dexter up front uh, is a very talented guy, very good against the run. Uh, Princely, you you Menorah, and they're going to rely on him to pass. You know, the, the defense is going to be, um, uh, for Patrick Tony is going to be uh, the creeper defense where, you know, you're going to be bringing different pressures from different spots. It's still going to be a four-man rush, but sometimes that four, fourth man might be a linebacker. Sometimes it might be a defense back. Uh, so, and you, you, you kind of try to disguise that very selectively while dropping other defenders in the coverage. Um, offensive line has been a huge priority for Billy Napier since he took over and bringing Osiris Torrance, who is a very highly regarded guy, uh, but much like Anthony Richardson has yet to take a snap in the SEC, uh, but is considered a preseason All-American. That's how highly people around the country think of him. Um, I think that's going to be fascinating to see how he adapts to the power five level, but by all accounts, this is uh, a guy on the offensive line. That's a, a superstar interior offensive lineman. It's going to help tremendously. And Richard garage at a tackle is a two-year starter. Uh, Michael Tarkin is a guy that's developed. He made a couple of starts last year. He steps in the right tackle role. Uh, it's going to be very important for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ethan White and, and Kingsley, uh, you've got two other returning starters too. So I think they feel very good about their offensive line. And um, that's going to be a key to get, get get that push, to protect the quarterback and to, you know, uh, open holes in the run game. And in particular, you know, that, that Utah pass rush, I know they lost some dynamic guys in that pass rush, but you still have to have a lot of respect for a team that led the Pac-12 in sacks last year. Well, you know, with depth charts, everybody wants to look at who's the starters, who's the depth, and different things that way. Is there a guy on this depth chart that one either was left off that left off that you were a little surprised by, or is there somebody on that depth chart that that maybe you're expecting big things from that that may be a little bit more buried in the in in that right now? Yeah, you know, I think the thing with Coach Napier too is he says he's going to play a lot of guys, so um, you saw a few oars there. Um, I'm a little surprised that uh, Jalen Kimber uh, didn't win the cornerback job. I thought he was a guy that was you had heard a lot of good things about in, in practice at the defensive back position, um, but uh, but he lost out uh, at that position. Uh, but I think he's going to play a lot, and I think he's going to play in a lot of nickel situations. You're going to see him uh, be very active in, in that secondary. Um, and they still haven't decided on a kicker yet. That's kind of interesting. You know, going into it, they have an or there. So it's either going to be Trace, Trace Mack, the scholarship guy, the freshman, or Adam Mahalik. So I wonder if he's going to rotate kickers. I wonder if one guy is going to do kickoffs or one guy is going to be a place kicker. 
Um, so, um, so those were a couple of Dante Xanders has had a really nice spring and into fall and he supplanted Keon Zipper as a starting tight end. He gives him a little more of a blocking element from that position. He's a converted defensive lineman uh, that has really good size. But, um, you know, the other thing about Coach Napier, too, you play a lot of two tight end sets. So I think you're going to see Zipper and uh, Xanders in there at the same time. And uh, Zipper is going to be more the receiving tight end and Xanders will be more the blocking tight end. But Xanders has shown good hands at camp, too. Uh, on this side of the country, you know, there, there's a lot of people that talk about East Coast bias. Obviously, there's the time zone difference. There's different things that way that people want to talk about. Um, but it, then you you dial that back even more and you, you get into the SEC, which is, clear, which is clearly the prominent uh, conference in, in all of college football. We, we understand that there's there's a lot of talent there. But when you when you talk about a Florida team versus a Utah team, what is kind of your overall impression of what Florida fans or, or Florida in general, you know, has of this Utah team? Yeah, um, you know, I think that, you know, our, our, our really talented columnist, David Whitley, wrote about that. It's like the respect factor because there are a lot of people that think, you know, and rightfully so, when you look at the national championships, the SEC is the best conference in the country and everyone else is second best. And I just came from, you know, Big Ten country, uh, you know, in Indiana, where I covered for three years before I came back and covered the Gators in Gainesville. And uh, there's no lo- love lost there between the Big Ten. But uh, I, I think with the SEC, what you have in this conference particularly in comparing it with the big, big 10, I think is uh, just a lot more big, fast guys, you know, big 10, you have big guys, but you don't have that speed and athleticism and that kind of quick twitch that you do with in SEC athletes. So I think there's this impression here that, you know, this is the best conference in the country and, you know, everyone else is second best. So there's some fans who are saying, yeah, they have to come here. They're going to have to deal with the humidity. It's going to be a crazy loud atmosphere. Uh, our side, we're used to playing in front of big crowds. They aren't. Um, but, uh, I think the players think different than the fans in that regard. I think the players watch the tape and they realize that, uh, a lot of that stuff is superfluous and, and, you know, this is a really good Utah team, uh, coming to the swamp on Saturday night. Uh, for Utah, there's, there's, you know, arguably a lot more pressure in this scenario. Obviously you come in with the number seven ranking. A lot of people are talking about them as a, you know, a potential playoff contender, whether that's true or not. But, you know, they come into this game having to to kind of win to keep their season in check that way, right? To keep their goals alive. What, what do you see as kind of uh, the perception from this team about what this game means to Florida? Is is this a, a must-win game? Does it matter? Like, obviously, Billy Napier wants to start on the right track. But what, what are you kind of getting as as the impression of how this game is going to uh, be handled for, for the Florida side? Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, I think there'll be a little bit of a honeymoon period. I think if... Florida plays well and is competitive and say falls short in a 24 to 20 kind of game. I think fans will accept that particularly if they look more disciplined, if they look more structured uh, than they did last season under Dan Mullen, if they look like they're playing more together. Um, but uh, if they go out and lay an egg, uh, then they will be uh, in the words of uh, the former great uh, Gator coach, Ron Zuck noise in the system. That's what he used to refer to it as, as, you know, uh, and then that'll, that'll, uh, you know, uh, develop kind of, uh, kind of quickly. So, um, it's, uh, like I said, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to watch, but I, I think he will get a little bit of a honeymoon period here. First year coach. Um, I think what fans want to see is just progress and they want, they'll want to see progress week to week. They'll want to see this team get better week to week. Um, but you do understand too, that, you know, it's still a new system. It's still players adjusting to a new system and it's still a lot of Dan Mullen's players. They're not quite Napier's players yet. So, um, I think there's some questions, particularly, you know, the playmaking ability of the wide receivers, for example. Um, do you have guys? Now, Ricky Pearsall, Pac-12 guy, uh, I think is, is, you know, he had, he had a little bit of a foot injury, but he showed in the beginning of camp and the end of camp when he was healthy that he's really got some ability. And I think he's a guy kind of to watch in terms of the receiving core, someone that could emerge. He's still a little hobbled, so maybe not in the Utah game, but maybe by the end of the season he might be a guy that uh, – could be that playmaker that uh, uh, Florida sorely needs. Uh, when you sit down on this game on Saturday and you know, you're getting ready to watch this, what, what are your biggest question marks uh, going into that game? What are you watching for, for this Florida team? Yeah, I am watching for uh, a, you know, discipline, you know, how disciplined are they going to really be um, physicality? I mean, how tough are they going to be? Because that's been another kind of credo of the Napier. Era. And uh, I think, like I said before, like, can other playmakers emerge other than Anthony Richardson? Is this offense going to be 
Um, because as I alluded to earlier, I mean, if they expect the offense to revolve around Anthony Richardson to run 20 times, you're taking a huge risk there. Um, so I think some other guys are going to have to step up at the running back position, at the wide receiver position. Um, hopefully the offensive line will make things easier for the running backs. I, I do think that uh, you know, it's kind of a running back by committee. And, and Montrell Johnson is a guy that came over from Louisiana. I know that the staff obviously knows the system is very high on. Naquan Wright is their best returning running back. And, and they've also got a five-star in Lorenzo Lingard, who you know began his career at Miami, has never really reached his full potential, but has all the tools. So you've got some guys there. Trevor Etienne, Travis Etienne's younger brother. Uh, from LSU and the Jags is another guy too, and Clemson, excuse me, uh, is another guy too. Um, as a true freshman, that could even you know get some runs. So, I think they they have some guys there. It's just going to be a matter of how they utilize them and uh, if that speed um, you know can come into play and if they can play fast in our new system. Well, th- uh, thanks, Kevin, for for coming on. Obviously, like we're excited to to see this game uh, take place. I'm excited to go down there, and and uh, I'm sure you and I will have a chat down there and 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 kind of see how this plays out. But uh, tell us tell us where uh, you can you can find you, kind of where your work is, and and kind of what what's going on right now. Yeah, GatorSports.com and uh, at Kevin Brockway G1 is my Twitter account. And uh, Josh, if you're in town on Friday, uh, you know maybe we can go down to Celebration Point or Ballyhoo or. Uh, I can show you around here. It's a, it's a, it's a great town. That's why I came back. You know, I missed it. I was there for 15 years and was in Bloomington, Indiana, which was a nice college town for a few years, but it's, it's good to be back in Gainesville. Really good people here, salt of the earth people. You'll really enjoy it. Well, sounds good. We, uh, we look forward to being down there and uh, we'll catch you uh, another time. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Josh. Well, that's our interview with Kevin. Uh, We appreciate him coming on and and chatting with us a little bit. I think it's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic to be able to watch this game unfold. And, uh, you know, let's just get it here. We're we're done with uh, talking about this. Let's let's see it. Let's have some fun with it and uh, start the season off. But uh, thanks for for checking us out. Uh, We we appreciate all the times that you guys listen to us. Um, Go ahead and give us a rating on any of your favorite podcast uh, platforms. And, uh, you know, hit us up anytime if you have questions or if you have uh, comments, anything that you want us to talk about, by all means, uh, talk to us and, and we'll do our best to be able to make it happen. We still have some uh, fun things to announce here soon, and I'm excited to see it, it unfold. So uh, stay with us and uh, we'll catch you after the Florida game.